100 days in, one, zero, zero. That's what today is for the Biden and Harris administration. 100 days into their, their presidency and vice presidency. Last night, Joe Biden gave a speech to the country. Behind him, historically, sat the vice president and the speaker of the house, two women. First time in American history this has been so. Both of them from San Francisco area, politically, from California, West Coast, progressive. I'm feeling a little hopeful, feeling a little upbeat, feeling like things are possible. I want to offer some reflections this morning about the fight to vote 100 days into the Biden and Harris administration. Uh, out for my walk this morning. It's Thursday, April 29th. It's a really lovely morning. The sun is out, which whenever the sun is out, it counts as a lovely day in Seattle. Um, and some developments that are ongoing in the fight to vote that I want to provide some updates on. Um, so hope you're all doing well and uh, let's be strong. Let's fight. Okay, so first up, um, Joe Biden has laid out and has governed in 100 days as a remarkably progressive president. He is not uh, as progressive as some chunk of Americans would like um, and probably some of you would like. Uh, but, but he's remarkably uh, to the left of where Barack Obama was as president. And certainly <coughs> far more progressive than anybody would have banked on Joe Biden being when he started running for president. He's a guy who seemed to have a pulse for understanding the, the center of this country. And, uh, and because of the racial realities, because of his age, uh, his gender, um, he's able to, I think, move us as a country more uh, steadily in a more progressive direction without engendering the same kind of, of uh, or without being met by the same kind of backlash as Obama was, as Clinton was, as uh, any non-white man would be. And... Uh, that's work we got to do for this country. And I believe we will in my lifetime um, make more progress on who occupies the White House uh, in terms of race and gender. Um, and this is the reality we're at right now with this president. And so we need to, uh, to capitalize, to leverage, to make it happen. Yesterday in his speech to the, uh, to the Congress, his first speech to um, the nation, and to Congress from a, a really official presidential capacity. Joe Biden laid out uh, an American Families Plan, talked about democracy, uh, made a push for immigration reform, and spoke uh, about the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. I, I think that 
where uh, we got we got a president who's with us and is willing to spend capital to uh, to pass voting rights as well as gun safety, something else he spoke about. And uh, I think that Biden has recognized that the most important thing that he needs to focus on is COVID and the economy. Uh, he's, he used the word jobs 40 plus times last night, by far and away his most common word that he used. Uh, and I'm all in for voting rights. We all are at CP. But a president needs to, in order to have that kind of impact in other issues, needs to keep their focus on our health and our economic recovery right now. They've got to, to trumpet that. Um, and so I'm, I'm totally good with that. 100 days in, I'll take exactly where we're at, knowing that we have not... We have not accomplished many of the things we want to get to, but we are in a position where we could get there. And 100 days in, we could be floundering. Uh, the COVID could be going exactly the opposite way. People could be denying, uh, refusing to do vaccines. Um, the economy could be really struggling. And we're not in a perfect place, but we are in a solid place in the right direction. So 100 days in, um, this is a presidency and an administration and a partnership of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that I, I'm proud of, I'm uh, I'm, I feel grateful for, I'm pleased, and, uh, and this is what we worked for. This is what we worked for. A second thought about where we're at in the fight to vote is that the census numbers per state population estimates came out uh, Monday. They were, they were re revealed Monday by the U.S. Census Bureau. And these numbers are used to apportion numbers of U.S. House seats per state. Um, that's called apportionment, where the number of uh, U.S. House representatives that each state has is decided by the population size of the state. Um, plus some other factors that, that are somehow taken into account by um, the U.S. Congress in apportioning uh, uh, districts. They actually have this prioritization rating scale that I don't really know, I don't actually know the details about, um, but it doesn't seem to be overly controversial. I don't, see, I don't see much of a discussion at all about there being a problem with this scale. Um, but the population plus these ratings metrics are used to allocate the, uh, the, the seats in the U.S. House, 435 seats in this country. Um, the, that has been the number in this country um, from the beginning, and it's been allocated across the states, and however many we've had over time. This apportion, and so every, every 10 years, the U.S. Census Bureau updates the population, and it leads to some states uh, losing a seat in the House and other states gaining a seat in the House. In this particular apportionment, it's uh, the fewest seats to shift states. Um, in uh, over 100 years, I believe the last, the last lowest reapportionment shift among seats was well into the late 1800s. Um, 
And so uh, we don't have a huge number of seats shifting states. Seven seats in total are going to move. Texas will get two. Florida will get one. North Carolina will get one. Um, Oregon will get one. Florida will get one. And Montana will get one. Um, those are the seven states that will get, I'm sorry, those are the seven seats that will get moved. And uh, Pennsylvania will lose one. Ohio will lose one. New York's losing one. Um, uh, West Virginia is losing a seat. Michigan is losing a seat. Um, California is losing a seat. And those are states where either population has declined or population has not risen as fast. That's the case in California as in other parts of the country. The reallocation of uh, the reapportionment of these seats always has uh, impacts upon the partisan composition of the Congress. Which party is going to benefit from this? And uh, the, the movement of seats, three of them to uh, Texas and Florida, would off the top make it seem like the Republicans are going to benefit in those states, maybe also in the state of North Carolina. But every district lines are drawn anew by state legislatures after the census data is released. And that drawing is, getting, is, is now already getting and is going to get way more attention in the next six months. Those the, the data that have been released so far by the Census Bureau is not enough to draw those districts. There needs to be what's called block-by-block block census data. And that census data um, is not going to be released until late September at the earliest. Um, so the actual drawing of district lines for state legislative districts and also U.S. House congressional districts will not occur for several more months. When those are drawn, the level of public attention that needs to be brought to that is off the charts. And we will be part of that. We will probably work with partner organizations to mobilize voters in those states to, to uh, issue public commentary, to write letters to the editor, to make phone calls. Um, we will mobilize just like a get out the vote mobilization. Um, the, the mobilization here will be to bring attention to the drawing of those districts. When those districts are drawn, it's not clear which political party is going to benefit. Uh, it's, it's not easily figured out by just uh, guessing which party has more power in a state. Uh, I, I, Illinois also is a state that's losing a seat. If you take Illinois and Ohio as examples, Ohio has a huge gerrymandered partisan uh, uh, composition that works to the advantage of the Republicans in the state. And in Illinois, it's vice versa. The Democrats have a very huge uh, partisan uh, dominance in the state. So on the face of it, a seat going away would seem to benefit the uh, majority party. Like they'll somehow get rid of a seat for the, for the, smaller, the smaller composition party. But that isn't necessarily the case because the population increases um, or population decreases all occur in certain parts of the state. And those parts of the state have to be taken into account when the lines are drawn. Um, and so uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's not easily deciphered from the general state estimates to what's going to happen there. So we'll see. We'll bring attention. 
we will, uh, there will be several leading national organizations um, that will be very, very mobilized around redistricting and will be part of the foot soldiers in that work like we always are. Um, so that's a second big development this week. Uh, a third big development uh, this week that's going that's uh, going on right now is that um, we are planning for the John Lewis Action Day that our, our national coalition, the Declaration for American Democracy, is putting together for May 8th. May 8th is a Saturday, and it's going to be a day of action around the country to highlight the push for voting rights, for democracy, um, and uh, specifically in the name of John Lewis and the the to be to be introduced in June uh, bill in the U.S. Congress, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which would repair the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which has been damaged by the Supreme Court rulings over the years. Uh, this this day of action is something that we are going to participate in. We are going to be doing uh, two things. Um, as an organization, we're going to have a votercade where we will drive just like a little a march, but this case will be in cars. We're going to do a votercade with signs for voting. Um, we're going to go through Seattle, and the route is still being planned. I've got a meeting on this tomorrow. Kylie Knowles and Charles Douglas have got, and uh, Maggie Rittenhouse have got the lead on this. We're going to do a votercade for like a, a good half hour and then have some coffee and donuts. Um, and we're also going to do some some uh, sign, some uh, street corner sign waving that day where we're going to have a series of intersections that we're going to publicize and we're going to have somebody who's going to be there from CP and we're going to have ask people to come out with a sign and stand there for, for an hour or two. That will also be publicized. We'll make a a push for this with CP volunteers next week. We're developing it right now. Um, but this idea of a, a day of action um, has a long history in uh, American protest movements. You've got May Day, uh, Labor Day, that's where it came from. Um, we've got uh, uh, National Days of Suffrage that were present during the, the push for women's suffrage. Um, and in the civil rights movement, there were what were called freedom days, where there would be national attention focused on certain actions and certain geographical places. Um, I'm putting together a lecture series for July that's gonna be about the 1965 Voting Rights Act and how they beat the filibuster then. And there was a day in 1964 that was a very big freedom day where attention was focused on Selma, Alabama. Um, and uh, people from all over the country came there and celebrities and the media. Um, and so these days of action with a, a media focus, with a public engagement uh, are, are really quite mobilizing. They're, they're, they're inspiring, they're encouraging, and they get media attention. Um, so we're putting that together right now at CP uh, with with uh, information of that coming to the community early next week. Um, okay, one final thing I wanna talk about is Texas. Uh, so there's two things going on in Texas. One is they, the, the Republican state legislature is, is uh, working through and around and on a couple uh, potential voter suppression bills. 
that are very likely to get passed in some form. Um, they would cut back, they would either eliminate or cut back curbside voting where you drive up in a car and vote. They would eliminate or cut back um, some of the ways in which uh, people can uh, request absentee ballots. It would cut back or uh, eliminate um, some of the early voting locations in the state. Um, all of this is targeted substantially to the urban and metropolitan areas of Houston and Dallas and Austin and San Antonio uh, as the Republicans seek to, to damage Democratic turnout, particularly among communities of color. Um, this, these bills are being considered. They'll, they'll likely pass in some form by the Republican legislature, and they'll be signed by the Republican governor, Greg Abbott. But there's a lot of attention being devoted to these, and we are starting to make calls in the advocacy uh, team to, to encourage voters to, to speak out against these. Um, and those, our attention that's being given to these now is starting to slow down the process. Um, and there's some people that are raising their voices. Some, there's a group of pregnant women, for example, that talks, are talking about how valuable it was for them to be able to drive up and vote from their car um, in the last pandemic. And so they're kind of using their, their position um, in their families to talk about why it is that this is safer or easier to vote this way. And as long as they provide the necessary terms of uh, identification that the law requires, why can't they just vote that way? I totally agree. We should be making it easier to vote everywhere, not harder. Um, so we are, that is a point of attention right now. And we are, are, uh, are going to give it more attention and push in the advocacy team, not because we expect the bills to completely get blocked, but because we want to make them less bad. That's part of the work you do sometimes to make things just less, let to make bad things less bad politically. The second piece about Texas is that there is a special election for a congressional seat, the, the U.S. House 6th Congressional District. That is a, a special election this Saturday. Um, the uh, the uh, congressional member for that district, uh, I believe his name was Jim Wright, uh, passed away from COVID, a Republican, passed away from COVID, and this is the, seat, this is the election to replace him. Um, the, the election has 23 candidates in it and, uh, everybody's on the ballot. And if nobody gets to 50% plus one vote, um, then they will, the top two will go to a runoff election. That's almost certain to happen. We are, uh, we are going to mobilize for that election, uh, provided that a Democrat is one of the two finalists. We're going to mobilize for that election and uh and try to win that congressional seat which is trending bluer it's not blue but it's trending bluer over time i um, mean there's a couple really awesome democratic candidates that we want to support there if they get through to the uh to the final runoff that information um that texas team is kicking off tonight actually with a a meeting and you can sign up for Team Texas on our website, on the front page. Um, there's a Team Texas link, and you start to get information from our leadership. And we got this awesome team leading it, five 
of our super volunteers who um, are putting together, our, our, who are serving as our, our test run, our beta test of our new team leadership structure. So come join us in this work. I'll give another update after we know the results of this Saturday's voting. Um, hopefully we'll have a team a candidate that we're focusing on there. Uh, this is our very first electoral uh, uh, in the Congress uh, campaign this year. It's going to, you know, we, this is what we do. We love this work. Um, and we could do it in community and in teams. Uh, and we're real excited. We'd love to have you come get involved. That person, of course, would be a vote in the U.S. House for H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, the John Lewis Act. That would be a vote. And this would be a Senate, I mean, a, a House flip if we were to, to win it for the Democrats. That runoff would be in late May. Um, if they're uh, 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 assuming that no one, that only two, two folks move forward in the runoff after this Saturday, that runoff will be in late May. So folks, sometimes it seems like not much is happening because um, Congress recesses for a period of time. Um, but the, the, the wheels of, of progress still grind if we keep doing the work. This, uh, this year, we are three months in, 100 days into the Biden and Harris administration. Absolutely, we would take where we are today as opposed to where we were 100 days ago, certainly over where we were a year ago. Um, and I just wanna encourage everybody that even if you don't have great energy for, for voting work or electoral work. We still got to show up and do it. It changes us when we do it. It isn't just for the, for the immediate reward. It is also for our impact on us. I'll finish with this. On uh, Tuesday, I was leading one of our advocacy team phone banks and I was, I, I wasn't, uh, really that excited to do the phone bank that day. Um, I'm always committed to it, but you know, sometimes I feel more enthusiastic than other about other, other times about making the calls. Um, but we got over to the phone bank and um, I said, well, you know, I should do this. I'm here and I've committed time to this. So I'm going to do this. Uh, and I did phone banking for the next hour and a half. And it was such an uplifting experience. I know that people think it's negative and doesn't have the impact that it should or the immediate impact that it should, but that just isn't, it isn't what my general experience. Whenever I talk to a person or two and they say, yep, I'm gonna call my senator. I'm gonna call um, my legislator. I'm gonna advocate for something for democracy, they are encouraged. And so am I, so am I. There's an awful lot of social psychology research that shows that our actions bring about certain feelings on our part, that doing things is a very powerful um, orienter to us in terms of how we feel. And that's what I experience when I do phone bank work and advocacy work. 
is that my feelings, uh, you know, I may not, it may not be like what I wake up in the morning excited to do, but I know the ethics of it all is so very important. And so then I do it and then I feel better and then I'm excited. And then I bring that energy to this podcast and then I wake up and I get, to, I start to roll and we do our work and we catalyze one another. That's what we got to do at Common Power. Common Power is about being in community and catalyzation for each other. So the fight to vote 100 days in Biden-Harris. We're making progress. We got a distance to go, of course, but we're making real progress. Let's go.